This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, here's the deal. I don't do special bonus episodes that often. I mean, I might be doing some more episodes here before too long. I'll give you guys some updates on that. But this has been an insane week. I mean, this has been an absolutely insane week when it comes to news. And I guess I really didn't even realize it until uh, it was pointed out by somebody else. And that was by Albert Moeller. So if you listen to the briefing with Albert Moeller, I've talked about it a lot on this podcast. But on Monday's episode, that's February 3rd, 2020, he did an episode about these five days and this news that would happen in this five-day span. And he kind of put it in a way where I was like, well, well, yeah, actually, this is actually a gigantic week. And I've added some other things that were kind of big that ended up being big that need to be discussed. But here's the deal is I'm recording this on Thursday, February the 6th. Okay. But since Thursday, January the 30th, of 2020. It has been an incredible news cycle. Okay. So let's just start with that Thursday, January the 30th. So the World Health Organization actually reversed course and they declared the coronavirus a world health emergency. Then Friday the 31st, the United Kingdom left the European Union. On Sunday, February the 2nd, that was the Super Bowl, but it was the halftime show that made all the headlines supposedly. On Monday, February 3rd, the Iowa caucuses were supposed to happen. And we'll talk a little bit more about what in the world actually happened. Then on Tuesday, February the 4th, the state of the union address was delivered only by the second time uh, with a sitting president that had been impeached delivering that address. And then on Wednesday, February the 5th, yesterday, Donald Trump was exonerated in the United States Senate. That was all in one week. Okay. So I want to actually go into each one of these different things because the title of this podcast is the week that shaped 2020. And guys, we are five seconds into 2020. So how in the world can one week's worth of news in the early part of 2020 really define the entire year? So that's the uh, the journey I'm going to take you on today is kind of figuring that out. So let's start with Thursday, January 30th of 2020. And that's the World Health Organization reversing course and declaring the coronavirus a world health epidemic. So here's the thing. This is a likely pandemic. This is something that's scary. No matter what news you like or news you prefer, this is kind of scary. Uh, because we don't really know exactly what it is. We don't really know exactly how to contain it. And also it kind of gives us a look at what uh, a dictatorial authoritarian, you know, autocratic, atheistic, communistic government does, right? In terms of controversy, right? Because here's the deal is I don't want to be hyperbolic here because the common flu, as we've seen in any of the reports about coronavirus, the common flu has killed way more people this year and last year. Okay. Then, then coronavirus, but this seems to be something different. But the thing about this is if you guys aren't fully caught up on this, you might be thinking this is some sort of beer disease. Don't worry. You guys are fine. Keep drinking your Corona. But at the same time, I want to kind of give you an idea as to what is going on and kind of what the timeline was in terms of when things started to happen as it, as it pertains to this. So on December 31st of 2019, China alerts the World Health Organization of a uh, potential flu-like disease in Wuhan. And so if you've never heard of Wuhan, uh, that's not necessarily something that yeah, I would be surprised by, but that's a town of, or a city of 11 million plus people. Okay. It's larger than New York City. And there's like 
you know, I think there's four other, I think it's fifth biggest in China, just to give you an idea of how gigantic that country is and how many people that live there. But that was whenever we first see it. Okay. January 5th, the World Health Organization advises against travel restrictions to the area. January 7th, China identified the virus as Corona. And it, I guess the, the actual virus name is coronavirus 2019 COV, And it's from the family of viruses, uh, including the common cold and SARS. And then if you go one day later to January 8th, the first case was reported outside of China and that was in Thailand. January 11th, we have the first death reported. It was a 61 year old man and he was admitted to the hospital on December 27th of last year with what looked to be flu-like symptoms. Then on January 15th, the first case was reported in Japan. January 17th, the second death in China was reported. This was a 69 year old man and the United States starts screening passengers arriving from Wuhan, but only at two airports. On January 20th, we have the first case in South Korea. We have the third death in China. China admits to over a hundred cases of this virus and experts are confirming that now there is a human to human transmission. So just to kind of pause right here, human to human transmission, that's kind of, that's the be all end all. That's the one that that's really, really bad. We have animal to human and all those different things. Uh, they expect that the coronavirus started with uh, transmission from either bats or snakes to people. But this is one of those things when it starts becoming human to human, it becomes a really, really big deal. Now, on January 21st, we have the first case in the United States, okay? Uh, China increased its number of people that, that they thought had it in China to 300, and the virus actually had, was reported in Australia as well. January 22nd, the World Health Organization meets, and they decide not to declare an international health emergency. A lot of people were looking around like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, ah, eh, nothing to see here. But the virus numbers by then had grown to over 500 with 17 deaths. Now, on the 23rd of January, China implements a travel ban to and from Wuhan. And it wasn't just a travel ban. They were basically quarantining people in their houses, locking them in their apartment, in their apartments. It's just kind of what those regimes do right now on January 27th. By that time, uh, there were reported cases in the United Arab Emirates, Germany, Taiwan, Sri Lanka, Singapore, Mexico, Canada, Nepal. I think there's some other countries in there that I missed. The death toll at that point is, was over 132 with around 6,000 confirmed cases. And then finally, by January 30th of 2020, last Thursday, the world health organization finally declares a global health emergency. Now, as of today, as of the recording of this podcast, as of a few hours ago, when I looked this up, the death toll is now over 560. I think it was 565 was the last death toll I saw, but there's close to 30,000 people that have confirmed to have this disease. Okay. So this is why this news might shape 2020. The first thing is because there's a two week incubation period on this particular disease. So since we know that it can be transmitted from human to human, you might be getting somebody sick and not even know that you are sick yourself. Okay. That is, that is potentially really, really dangerous. But here's the other thing right now, there's a 2% death toll, which, you know, you might think to yourself, that's not that bad. And, and you would maybe be right. But 2% of a particular number is the difference that we need to see. Because if we start getting into the millions or tens of millions of people that end up contracting this virus, 2% of 10 million is a lot of people. 2% of a hundred million is a lot of people. Okay. This isn't going anywhere. Okay. Like that's one of the things that this might shape 2020 is you will continue to hear about this. This is not something that just goes away. That's why when you say mad cow disease or SARS, everyone can kind of go back to a time whenever they were, you know, scared to eat a hamburger or whatever the situation might be. This is a huge deal. But the other reason why I think this news might shape 2020 is because obviously the Trump administration in the United States has talked a lot about China and a lot about the things that they've done uh, from an uh, just from governmental standpoints, but also how they operate and how they treat their people. This is what the Chinese government does. They just love to lie. 
And so one of the problems with trying to get this under control is that the Chinese government has basically tried to tamp down anybody releasing any information about the coronavirus. There's there's only uh, slight releases of information. The videos you see online of people basically walking through the hallways of hospitals where there's body bags stacked up and things like that, those people have been disappeared. Yes, I use that word actively. Those people have been disappeared. Those people have been arrested. They will arrest you on the streets if you're not wearing a mask. They will arrest you on the streets if you say anything about how the government is handling it. We see videos of the Chinese military basically walking the streets and forcing all these things. And it's just kind of one of those things. We're going to get not only a good look at how you respond as a world to a potential pandemic, but also we're going to get an even closer look at this atheistic communistic regime that is running China right now. So huge, huge story. Then we go to Friday, January 31st. And again, that's the United Kingdom leaving the European Union. If you thought you've heard about Brexit for, for so long, it's because you have, because this was, this was something that should have been done a long time ago, but it just kept getting dragged out and dragged out. But here's the deal. Britain was basically broke after World War II. Okay. That's, that's what they had basically said. You know, we're going to go down to the last man to the last, uh, you know, the last dollar or whatever they were spending over there at the time. We're going to go down to the very last of us to basically defeat tyranny, to, to defeat the Nazis. Right. But at that time, they, they didn't want to be a part of the, the European Union just yet. They didn't want to be part of the capital E Europe. Um, but it wasn't until the 1960s or so that they actually wanted to join the European Union. They were blocked by France for some different reasons. You know, France thinking they were, you know, English speaking, they're an island country, they're way too close to the U.S., whatever the situation is. But they actually joined the European Union in the 1970s. But the thing about it was, is over the decades the people of the United Kingdom were getting less and less excited about the fact that bureaucrats in Brussels who were not them, weren't anywhere near them, were basically making decisions for them, right? The governmental power had been consolidated over the decades to where you basically had no sovereignty, which again, I would kind of ask these countries like, what did you think was going to happen? You basically turn all your sovereign nations into this one nation state and it doesn't quite work out the way you wanted. Yeah, it's shocking. Absolutely shocking. But on June 23rd of 2016, the United Kingdom voted to leave the EU right? They voted, they had a resolution to leave the EU. Okay. But English bureaucrats spent the better part of three years, right? Trying to usurp the wishes of the people of the United Kingdom. Right. And I don't really want to get into all the different details, but it was just a cluster. It was an absolute cluster. It was kind of making people think that at some point, you know, they, they were actually going to do that. They were going to usurp the wishes of the people. But on December 12th of 2019, Boris Johnson and the conservative party won a sweeping victory in the United Kingdom and they got it done. Um, they, they finally, you know, had their sovereignty and they're leaving the European union. But this is why this news might actually end up shaping 2020. This was the first major country to leave the European union. Okay. So I had to look this up, but French Algeria back in 1962, Greenland in 1985 and St. Barthelemy in 1912, they all left the European union before. Now the last two, uh, they actually are now part of what's called the overseas countries and territories. And so that's a little bit different, but this is the first major country to leave the European Union. And I can't imagine it's going to be the last. I, I just can't, can't imagine that that's what we're going to see. And so the, the big question is, will more follow? Will in the rest of 2020, will we start to hear rumblings from other countries about how, you know what, they don't want bureaucrats somewhere else uh, far away from them, hundreds of miles away from them to determine what they should be doing uh, with their personal lives. Okay. The other thing is we kind of see, a, just in seeing this, we see a redefinition in what it means to be quote unquote European. 
right? And I don't think this is just a, a specifically British thing that, hey, they're an island nation. They were always kind of on their own. I think this is going to cause a lot of Europeans to think about what, what this means to be European because we've seen problems with, um, you know, with, with, different people from different groups uh, coming to different nations and the kind of the open borders policy and some of the issues that they've had in some of the countries over there with this open immigration policy. You know, there, there's people that just don't think that's that's very good. And those those countries are in a worse spot than Britain because Britain is separated from the rest of the mainland Europe by, you know, the English Channel. Right. And at this point, there's a, there's an issue with with immigration over there that people aren't talking enough about unless they actually live there. But the other thing that makes this a huge story for 2020 is one of the United States is closest allies is United Kingdom. And now they're on their own. And so they are, they are not where they were previously a week ago when in terms of their economic standing and in terms of the things that they're able to do. They're still a sovereign nation. They're still a big time nation, but they're now on their own and they haven't been on their own in a long time. And so that could have some direct effects on the United States as well. So something to keep an eye on. Okay, now let's forward to Sunday, February 2nd. That was the Super Bowl. So the Kansas City Chiefs beat the San Francisco 49ers. It was a good game. It didn't look like it was going to be a good game for a while. Great last several minutes. I'm really, really glad that the 49ers lost basically because my least favorite player in the entire world is Richard Sherman. And so I'm so glad I got to watch him lose on national television. And he gave up the big play that actually led to Kansas City winning the Super Bowl and gave up a touchdown there at the end. So it was even sweeter. But here's the deal. No one really cared about the game afterwards. Everybody, all they wanted to talk about was halftime show with Jennifer Lopez and Shakira. Okay, so here's the deal is I didn't watch it. Now, I watched almost every second of the game, but I did not watch the halftime show. So I was at a party, uh, you know, with our Sunday school and it was mixed in. I'll say that the gals were, their eyes were just absolutely glued to the television. They were really, really interested in it. A lot of the guys were watching as well. But for me, I knew that that was not going to be something that I could do. And I've known that for months now. Okay, because from the time this halftime show was announced, J-Lo and Shakira, I knew it's like, whoop, all right, I got to make sure I'm doing something else during halftime. Because the thing about it is, is you knew that those gals were not going to get up there in, you know, floor length robes and they were just going to sing in front of a microphone. You knew this was going to basically be a softcore porn in your living room. That's essentially what you could have guessed, right? Those women have made a lot of money and they've made a, a lot of, they've gotten a lot of influence and it's mainly because of their bodies. Okay. And so, you know, we'll get more into that here in just a second. But as I was thinking about afterwards, because again, I didn't watch it, but again, when you're flipping through Twitter, you see people that have gifts and have pictures. And so you kind of get an idea of what happened. But again, unless you watch it, you don't really get a sense of what happened, but I've heard of what a lot of people have said, good, bad, and different. And so I've kind of been able to piece it together. But there were a lot of thoughts that came to me in, in on the heels of this. And some of those were, you know, what, what message does a halftime show like that send to young women and girls? And, and in addition to that, what does it send? What message does it send to young men and boys, right? That are sitting there watching that, you know, I, I assume there or someone said there was a stripper pole at one point, right? I don't know exactly who was on the stripper pole, but we can always assume that it's probably somebody that's scantily clad, right? What message does this send about the, the me too advocates, right? You know, was this women's empowerment? Was this kind of one of those things, right? I mean, what is this, what message does this send to social justice warriors, right? Why weren't they picketing saying, hey, this isn't how we should be represented? You know, that's kind of interesting. And what message does it send to feminists? You know, first, second or third wave, right? Like, what does this say? Is this the message that you want to give to young women that you eventually want to be feminists? But I guess all of my thoughts were heard through the ether by Tim Kennedy. So if you don't know Tim Kennedy, he's a Green Beret. Uh, he's been in the Army for a long time, former MMA fighter. 
big time guy on Instagram. I'll make sure you have a link to his Instagram, but he posted this. I don't know if it was a day or two after the Super Bowl halftime show, but I thought his encapsulation of what we should be talking about, about the halftime show was very, very appropriate. So let me go ahead and just read what his post said. As a father of three daughters, yesterday's halftime Super Bowl performance scratched a nerve, the nerve of hypocrisy. I don't want my daughters to be objectified, but I also want them to feel free to be able to do whatever they want, to include being sexy. In an era of hashtag me too movement, how can we stand by and not take pause at a stripper pole being in the living room of nearly every American household and not consider the consequence? I'm not saying Shakira and Jennifer Lopez did not look beautiful. They did. I'm not saying they don't have the right to dress any way they want. They do. And I'll fight that they will always have that right. I'm not saying that there were not great entertainers, which they are. I'm just questioning the impact this has on the young women and men in our country, and yet again, the shifting of our morals. Behavior and actions is what demands respect. If you want to be respected, behave in a way that deserves it. Otherwise, don't try to demand it. And so I thought that was an incredibly powerful way of summarizing that because he's, he's right. He's absolutely right. These are people that are going to demand respect. We demand, you know, whatever the thing they're squawking about, where it might be, we demand equal pay or we demand equal attention or equal representation or equal this, or, or, you know, Hey, look at me and don't look over there and all these different things. But at the same time, you don't want to be objectified while you're objectifying yourself. You don't want to teach little girls to objectify themselves while showing them what happens when you objectify yourselves. Because you're that one, one thousandth of 1% of people that become sex, uh, successful, uh, Freudian slip there, that become successful in the entertainment industry by basically showing off your jubblies. Now, at the same time, it's like, okay, you're going to see millions and millions of people that are into that. But then is that really the message that you want to send? Hey girls, you know what? Don't worry about showing yourself off or any of those types of things. It's okay because you can be successful and look how pretty I looked up there on the pole. Okay. So why is this news that might shape 2020? I think the big thing for us is because that halftime show that you, most of you guys watched, that reminds us of where we are as a society. We're not that woke. We haven't progressed that far. The overwhelming majority of men want to sit there brain dead, looking at half naked women dancing. Why? Because it's fun because they're attractive and we don't care if we have to pray about it later and ask for forgiveness. We're thinking about it and watching it right now. A little bit uncomfortable for some of you guys, wasn't it? Didn't a lot of you guys sit there and watch that with your tongue hanging out of your head? Was your son there watching you? Was your daughter there watching you as you were looking at that? Was your wife watching you? Because I know a lot of wives were like, oh my gosh, look how pretty they are and look at all the dancing. The guys weren't thinking that. <laughs> they weren't thinking about how pretty the costumes looked. They were wondering what it would look like if you're doing those same th- same things without the costume on, right? So it is a big deal, right? Most people are like, ah, oh, you're overreacting. You know, it doesn't matter what you do with your eyes. It matters what you do with everything else. Okay, see how far that gets you. Because most sin in this area starts in the eyes. And then it goes to the imagination and then it goes from there. So it's a big deal. So it's something to look at as we progress, because by the end of the year, we're going to know who's going to be in the halftime show next year. Now I'm advocating for Metallica, sharp left turn on this podcast, Metallica with a symphony orchestra. I want to see the S&M album live and in person. I'm tired of all these pop stars moving on. All right. Monday, February the 3rd, we were supposed to have the Iowa caucuses, but we really didn't. 
Because here's the deal. The Iowa caucuses, and I just need to flow a little bit on this. The Iowa, the state of Iowa, they just have way too much power. And if you're listening to this in the state of Iowa, I don't dislike you. I've never been to the state of Iowa. I'm sure it's a great, great state. I know you got a lot of big whitetail up there. So, you know, one of these days I'm going to get up there and help you take care of your whitetail problem. But here's the deal. They have way too much power because they kind of set the tone for the rest of the country. And an overwhelming majority of the time, whoever wins Iowa ends up winning the the Democratic nomination, right? I forget what the statistic was, but it's been very, very, uh, it's been a very big margin of people that have done that over the last few years. But there was a lot at stake in Iowa for basically four main Democratic candidates. There's a lot still out there, but there was four. Okay. The first one is Bernie Sanders, who right now is the odds on favorite to win the entire Democratic nomination. But he was favored nationally and he was favored in Iowa, so he needed to perform well. You have Joe Biden, who's barely alive, but he needed to finish in the top two to basically not look like a completely dead person, right? He needed to finish strong in Iowa to show people, hey, you can get behind me. I'm not going to die tomorrow. Then you got Elizabeth Warren. She basically needed to perform well, maybe in the top two or three, just to prove that her campaign hasn't completely imploded. Everything that she's done over the last three months, especially, has been a complete dud. And she is just grasping at straws. I forget who said it, but she's basically Bernie, but she doesn't believe any of the things that Bernie actually believes. Bernie actually believes the stuff that he's saying, the insane things that he believes. He actually believes it. Elizabeth Warren doesn't actually believe it. She's just doing it for political gain, which is in some in some ways way worse. And then you got Pete Buttigieg. So uh, Mayor Pete uh, from South Bend, he basically needed to win. He needed to win Iowa to be relevant because if he couldn't win Iowa, in a state, you know, that's very close to where he started his entire career, right? Uh, in politics, he was going to be dead in the water. And then I'll give you a bonus one. Amy Klobuchar, uh, no one really cares about her, but if she made it into the top three, maybe there would be some groundswell of support around her because she's kind of moderate and not completely insane. I don't know, but you know, that was kind of the deal. So here's the deal. I go to bed Monday and there were no results yet. I was assuming that we were going to get some results. Maybe the state wouldn't be called and the delegates wouldn't be called in anyone's favor, but I was like, ah, it'll be fine. I'll see it in the morning. So I wake up Tuesday and still there's no results. So I'm like, you know, what's going on? Let's see what's going on. Later on Tuesday, the Democratic National Convention or whoever is in charge of that uh, in the state of Iowa, they release 62% of the caucus results, oddly. And it showed that Mayor Pete Buttigieg had the most delegates, even though he didn't have as many votes as Bernie Sanders. Uh, What? Like Bernie Sanders has more votes, but Pete Buttigieg has more delegates. Okay. Caucuses are kind of weird. I'm not going to explain them to you. Go look it up. But then Democrats say that the app that they created for casting votes in Iowa had some technical difficulties right? So these are the same Democrats that want to nationalize pretty much every private industry to include healthcare and energy, but they couldn't create an app that could handle enough votes in one state in the middle of the country. So keep that in mind. But then it was revealed that Buttigieg's campaign actually contributed money to the app development company named Shadow, which was the creator of the voting app. Yeah. Tens of thousands of dollars. In fact, was contributed from Buttigieg and his campaign to the company, Shadow, aptly named. Then it was reported that the team of people at Shadow working on the app used to work for, drumroll please, enter the bad guy music, Hillary Clinton. And those people that worked for Shadow that used to work for the Clinton campaign had openly expressed disdain for Bernie Sanders. Okay. They're actually making me feel bad for Bernie Sanders, but it gets worse. Then 
it was reported that many of the votes inside the app were actually taken away from the candidate they were supposed to go to and they were peeled off and they actually ended up in a different place. But they all ended up in the same place under Pete Buttigieg's tally. So if you voted for Klobuchar or Andrew Yang or Tulsi Gabbard or any of those people, a lot of those votes were pulled off and given to Mayor Pete. Now, here's the deal. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Conspiracy theorists typically drive me absolutely insane because they say some of the dumbest things without thinking because they think plausibility means reliability. But, but, even though I'm not a conspiracy theorist, this reeks, are you kidding me right now? Like, again, I don't feel bad for Bernie Sanders. I think he's a looney tune. I hope I don't have to actually break down who he is for you on this podcast because hopefully he rides away into some sort of communist utopia at some point and doesn't actually run for president of this country. But why this news might shape 2020 is because the Democratic National Convention or the National Committee, the DNC, thinks that they know better than you. And so here's the deal is like, I'm a Republican. I've talked about that, but I'm sure many of you listening to this are Democrats. They think they know better than you. We have evidence as far back as, I don't know, 2016 is as close as you have to look when they screwed Bernie Sanders out of the nomination because they had to get their gal in, the shoe in, the heir apparent, Hillary Clinton. And so this is how the news is shaping up because as of right now, we have no idea who won Iowa and New Hampshire's in five days. And then after that, I think it's Nevada. And then uh, there might be one more state. And then we have Super Tuesday. Like, and if we see something like this in New Hampshire or Nevada, I mean, my goodness, like again, where there's smoke, there's fire. And again, I'm not saying that this is a big conspiracy theorist, I'm uh, conspiracy theory. It just absolutely reeks. It reeks at this exact moment. And I have no idea how you defend it. I, I have absolutely no idea how you defend this, but at the very least, it makes the Democrats look incompetent. And at the very worst, it makes the Democrats look highly, highly corrupt. So we'll see how that goes. Then we fast forward to Tuesday, February the 4th, we have the State of the Union address, and um, it was basically the State of the Union address under duress, because he was the second president, Donald Trump, to deliver his State of the Union address while he was going through the impeachment trial. The other one was obviously Bill Clinton. But here were some of the highlights from the speech. I would say the first thing that I wanted to highlight from the speech was just Donald Trump overall, because this was very much so teleprompter Donald Trump. This was Donald Trump under complete control, because he basically couldn't flow at all, Okay. And the thing is, is this Donald Trump is a palatable Donald Trump. Okay. This one just is, this is the Donald Trump that will make a suburban female, a mom, a stay at home mom feel okay. Like to feel like, okay, it wouldn't be absolutely insane if I voted for this guy. That was the Donald Trump that if you're a union employee that you don't feel like he's going to completely screw you. That's the Donald Trump that if you're a blue collar guy, you think he's got your back, right? So that was a highlight. I thought it was a very fantastic speech. I don't typically like say the union addresses. I typically skip them, but I I thought it was a, it was a well done overall speech. I think his speech writers absolutely nailed it. Okay. There were a couple of other highlights. There was a military family reunion, which if you ever want to guarantee that I'm going to cry, let's go ahead and have a military member be reunited with his family when they weren't expecting it. That was an awesome moment. There was a Tuskegee Airman that was in there. Uh, He was over a hundred years old and he was actually introduced after his great grandson who wants to go to the Air Force Academy and, you know, go into space and do all these different things. So that was a really, really cool thing that Tuskegee Airman had to stand up and sit down about three or four times. and was like, oh man, I bet he's exhausted at a hundred years old, but the guy seemed to be enjoying himself 
myself. That was cool. Uh, Rush Limbaugh, who is basically the godfather of conservatism or godfather of you know talk radio, I guess. He was actually given the Presidential Medal of Freedom. So if you didn't uh, know, Rush Limbaugh announced on Monday that he has uh, been given a diagnosis of advanced lung cancer. And so it's not a great prognosis at this point, but he was actually given the Presidential Medal of Freedom during the State of the Union by Melania Trump. So that was a little bit of a surprise. And then we have, I think it's Ellie Schneider. It's either Ellie or Eileen, but I think it's Ellie Schneider. She was in attendance with her mom. I think she's two years old now. She was delivered at 21 weeks gestation. Okay. And she's survived and thriving now and all those things. And so this was a good moment for Donald Trump to kind of talk about some pro-life things because people talk about these babies not being viable. Well, it's like that weeks of gestation thing keeps rolling back. Like at 21 weeks of gestation, right? She, she was able to, to be saved and she's thriving now. It's awesome. And then we had some low lights. So, uh, apparently Nancy Pelosi didn't do the normal introduction. There was supposed to be this normal, big boisterous introduction. And she just basically said, here's the president. I honestly don't really give a crap what she said. It's not really about her. So whatever. Uh, there was some hissing and weirdness from other Democrats. You know, some Democrats stood up and, you know, waved their fingers. I don't know what they were saying. Some Democrats pretended like they walked out in the middle of the speech. Uh, you know, they thought that nobody would no. And then they immediately were interviewed by CNN afterwards. That was silly. Um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was not in attendance, you know, whatever that's worth. So there was some weird things. Um, but the weirdest thing of the night was, and this was, I had already left the room because I could tell the speech was winding down. When I came back in, my wife told me that Nancy Pelosi actually tore up the copy of her speech. So if you don't know, whenever the president walks in, he gives a copy of his speech to the vice president. And then he gives a copy of his speech to the speaker of the house. And that is actually part of the federal record, right? That that's how we know that the state of union actually happened because all the pageantry and people in the crowd and the big room full of people, that's not actually required by law. That's just something that we just do now. Okay. But after the speech was over, she rips the paper in half and then she rips the paper in half again. And then she rips it in half again. And that's all anybody could talk about after the speech was, oh, you know, either Nancy Pelosi is the worst person ever for doing that, or she's the most bravest of brave, brave people that we've ever seen. Here's the thing that we can say. She clearly planned to do that because she claimed oh, she was so overwhelmed by all the lies inside the speech that she just couldn't help herself. Someone found video of her earlier in Donald Trump's speech testing the paper. She kind of pulled it down. And if you don't know quite, you guys know this, if you don't know quite, if you could rip through something, you might try to just get a little rip to see if, you know, when you need to rip through it completely, that it's going to be okay. She was doing that. So about an hour before she ripped it up and ripped it to shreds, people knew that that was going to happen because she knew that was going to happen. She knew she was going to do that, but she just came off looking a little bit petty. Like, I mean, can you imagine if Paul Ryan had done that after Barack Obama's speeches? I mean, Paul Ryan, his career would have been over, not just in politics, right? The the names and the things that he would have been branded with would have been absolutely insane. But, you know, Nancy Pelosi does it and she's some sort of a hero. Anyway, those are the lowlights. This is the reason why this news might shape 2020, okay? Because what we saw was under control Trump. And under control Trump is a winning Trump. Whereas Twitter Trump is a losing Trump. Okay. When you see Trump on Twitter, when you see him going crazy during some of these, uh, some of these interviews or some of these things with the media, that's, that's where he's losing. His base loves it, right? His base absolutely loves it. Loves it. It's, it's red meat for them, right? Oh, own the libs and do your thing. Like uh, I get it, but that's not a winning strategy when you need to win the country, right? He's already got your vote. He already has over 90% support in the Republican party. He's going to, he's going to have your vote, but it's for those independents 
And those those people, especially in Wisconsin and Ohio and Pennsylvania and Minnesota, it's those people that if they saw under control Trump for the rest of the year, I don't think there's any way that he loses. Right. I, I just don't see it. Right. Regardless of if you think that's good news or bad news, if he's under control and the economy's good, he's going to win a second term. But that's the thing is, are we going to have this Donald Trump for the rest of the year? I highly doubt it, but maybe. And we'll, we'll see how that goes. And the last thing here was yesterday on Wednesday, February 5th, very, very historic. Donald Trump was actually exonerated in the Senate. There were two articles of impeachment that were passed from the House to the Senate. The first article was abuse of power, which failed 48 to 52. And the second article was obstruction of Congress, which failed 47 to 53. Now you need 67 votes, a two thirds of majority to actually have been uh, removed from office. The only Republican that broke uh, any which direction was Mitt Romney of Utah, former uh, uh former candidate for president from the uh, Republican party in 2012. He voted yes on the first article. He voted guilty on the first article, abuse of power. Uh, Mitt Romney is going to be eviscerated for this. He's already been eviscerated for this. Um, there's a lot of people in Utah that, that he may not get reelected in Utah. Now uh, it was just one of those things. It came off for Mitt Romney looking really petty. You can tell that he and Donald Trump don't like each other individually that much. Uh, Mitt Romney thought he probably should have been secretary of state. I think Donald Trump may have alluded to the fact that he would be, and then, you know, went with somebody else. So it's one of those things that Mitt Romney, I think has a personal vendetta against Donald Trump because at no point did he come out in public and explain why he thought abuse of power was proven by the house or proven with any of the documents they received in the Senate. None of that was proven. So he came out looking a little bit weird, but we'll go ahead and get into why I think this news might shape 2020. Okay. Because if Donald Trump is reelected, we'll be able to come right back to this week and maybe explain that this week was the reason why. Okay. Because impeachment has been a gigantic fail for the Democrats. They've looked horrifically stupid. It just has not worked. It's been a sham, right? When Donald Trump was elected, when he was inaugurated, his approval rating was around 41%. And the Democrats have, in their mind, just drug him and his entire administration through the mud. And now his approval rating is 49%. That's, if you're wondering, that's incredibly high for a president, especially one like this one that's kind of a loose cannon, right? 49%. The reality is, is if he's anywhere near 50% by November, then then he's in. Like, there's just no way he loses, right? Especially if everything stays good. But if he's defeated in November, we'll be able to look back at this time. We'll be able to come right back to this week. And this will be just another in a myriad of stories that may or not be true that make Trump look bad. Because here's the thing. Do any of you honestly think that it's going to be smooth sailing from here until November? So I'm talking to my always Trumper, you know, MAGA MAGA people right now. After yesterday, a lot of you guys are like, great, we're good until November. Let's just keep this economy moving. Let's keep everybody alive and we're going to be fine. Guys, there's going to be something else that comes up. I would not be completely astonished if we had another impeachment trial before November. Because remember, the day that he won the election, right, before he was even inaugurated, there were lots of people in Congress, right, Democrats in Congress that said they were going to impeach the president for what you might say. They don't have any idea, but they're going to find something. They're not just going to all of a sudden stop looking because they hope they can land on something that might actually stick on this guy. Right. And guys, they might because Trump seems to be a morally bankrupt, uh, somewhat conflicted person. And and he, he seems a little bit corrupt. In some ways, they might be able to find something to pin to this guy that'll actually stick that might get the two thirds majority in the Senate. 
It's not likely before November, but can you honestly think that that's going to be it? Again, the, the grab them by the you-know-what video that, that came up, that was like a month before the election back in 2016. Everyone thought the ship was sunk at that point. There are people right now that are sitting on you know, transcripts or pictures or videos or testimonies that they're just going to release all throughout the, the spring, all throughout the summer, and certainly in the fall to try and sink them. Okay? But again, if he wins or loses, we can come back to this week. Because if he wins... Everyone's going to be pointing to February when he was exonerated in the Senate, not because there was some sort of cover up and and the Republicans are scared of Trump or whatever the New York Times is saying right now, because we can come back to this time and the the Democrats went all in on impeachment and the the public of the United States, the people of the United States were like, yeah, I don't really care. That, That doesn't really matter to me. Or you haven't proven your case and I'm not going to prove it for you by voting against this guy in November. So here's the thing, guys, is that kind of wraps up the week and what a week. I mean, when you really think about that, I'm really appreciative to Albert Mueller for pointing this out. This has been a huge week. Were you involved? Well, I mean, were you mentally there this week? Did you notice that all this stuff happened? Because we don't normally have weeks that are this chock full, but guys, there are always things going on in this country and around the world that should be of interest to us. Again, we constantly talk about cultivating spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. A lot of these things have threads that apply to us as Christian men, as leaders of our homes, as performing the the role of headship over our homes. These things are very, very important, so you guys need to stay involved. All right, guys, before we let you go, we're going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So for today, I got a few links for you. First, I found a great timeline for the coronavirus that is constantly being updated. It's being updated every day. So I've got a link for that here. And then I've also got Tim Kennedy's Instagram. So if you're not following him on Instagram, you definitely need to be. And then also I've got the entire video of Trump's 2020 State of the Union speech. So if you're interested in that, you can give that a go. Thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. I really appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher, and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. If we deserve a five-star review, please leave us one. That is how this podcast will continue to grow. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the entirety of 2020, so if you want me to come speak to your team, on your podcast, at your event, hit me up, info at undaunted.life. That's the email, info at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Undaunted Life or Facebook.com backslash Undaunted Life. Check out our free devotionals on the Uversion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is their song King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links to all of this are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness keep seeking the Lion of Judah.